Welcome to the latest Spotlight on IRT podcast, where our experts talk about best practices in the field of clinical development and innovations to improve today's clinical trials. This podcast is brought to you by Almac Clinical Technologies, the leader in interactive response technology. For more information, visit www.almacgroup.com. And now, here's your host, Matt Lowry. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Spotlight on IRT podcast. I'm Matt Lowry, and today we're going to be covering something that I've received a lot of questions on, and that is why. Why should you go with a premium provider when IRT typically isn't on the critical path for a project? Why are we putting so much emphasis on it, and why is it so important to get it right? Typically, IRT is relegated to a maintenance-style activity, and a lot of companies tend to look at it as a commodity something that's interchangeable. The truth is, an IRT system is a lot like an oil change, and having it done wrong can completely ruin a trial if it isn't implemented and supported correctly. The typical IRT system is pennies on the dollar when it comes to the overall study budget, but it is absolutely one of the highest risk areas. 10, 15 years ago, IRT wasn't asked to do as much as it does now. It was far more basic. However, it is being incorporated and asked to do so much more. This is a fact that is often overlooked, and part of our responsibility as an industry and as a provider is to make sure everyone is aware of the risks and to start looking at best practices. To help raise awareness, I went straight to the top. I asked Val Higgins, Almac Clinical Technologies President and Managing Director, and Bill Kane, Director of Quality Assurance and Regulatory Compliance, to join me. Both have years of experience in not just IRT, but all aspects of the clinical trial. Bill, Val, welcome. And I want to start off with a very blunt question that I've been asked. Why go with a premium provider? Why not go with someone who is cheaper or faster? That's a great question. and I know a lot of individuals in the industry ask that question all the time. I think, first of all, you really do get what you pay for. And if you're just focused on setting up a technology, building a piece of technology, configuring it, and setting it and leaving it, Anybody can do that. We can do that fairly inexpensively, depending on the scope of customizations and the trial has. But if you really are paying for the expertise to make sure that the solution is being designed to avoid common pitfalls based on experience of the provider, or the solution is designed in mind with the user's experience and risks associated with how the protocol is going to be implemented at the site and where the risk points are, you really need somebody who can truly design a system that is not just out of the box, but takes into consideration the specific needs and the nature of your particular trial. And so we spend more time on requirements, more time on design. And we also, as a premium provider, or any other premium provider that might be out there, is going to have a lot more experience and have a, a core of a system that takes into account years and years of experience over hundreds and hundreds of trials. They've already learned those lessons and have applied those. Um, so I guess you're lowering your risk and you're improving your outcomes. Right, and to build on Val's point there, to keep and, and attract top talent, you're going to have to pay top dollar for them to get the right uh, architecture in place, to have it interfaced well with the software that's in place, to have the regulatory support and the QA support of good people. That's what you're basically buying with a premium provider. Matt, one of the things, too, that lets me know that premium is important is we have completed a number of rescue studies over the year where a customer has gone with a 
a simpler solution, a, a cheaper solution, and it just didn't work out for the trial, whether it be something in the solution was missing features that were key, or the ability to service the study once it went live into appropriately, proactively address issues that were, were pending or were on you know potential issues, as well as addressing issues that had occurred. Experience comes a long way and really does make a difference in the results that you get with that. You know, just about five trials from, from different vendors rescued in one year so far this year. Had several before that. Let's talk a little bit then about the company itself. Let's look at what's the experience? Are we talking hundreds of studies? Well, we've done well over 1,500, probably close to 2,000 studies at this point in time. And, and the types of studies that we do, I would say over the years, they have evolved to the more complex trials. Uh, where the customer will come to us and ask us for our advice on how to implement um, adaptive trials or effectively handle trials where the supply is expensive, where there's constraints on supply. It's not just a technology for randomization and drug ordering. It's a technology and a service for actually managing your inventory of products. And many trials, especially the newer trials, newer medications of today, there's limited supply, limited supply in comparators, limited supply in the actual molecules themselves. They're extremely expensive, very difficult and timely to make. So you really have to conserve supply. We are often sought out to do the things that are higher risk or require people require to get it right the first time. But we also do a lot of work on the simple trials too. And just because you're a premium provider and you're good at the hard stuff, it doesn't mean that you're not good at the, the basic simple stuff as well. And so that's something to, to keep in mind. And that while many studies start as simple, that's not where they end up. And if you don't have that expertise or that flexibility to build into, then you run out of runway. You can't make those adjustments like an experienced company. Bill, that is so true. And I think that is something that we in the industry need to really reflect on. I think the average number of amendments, protocol amendments, that we've been seeing over the last 18 to 24 months has been about five or six there are other protocols that are being amended 14, 15, 16 times during the course of the first few years or maybe even the first year of a trial. So we need to be able to take that piece of software that has been built, configured for your trial, and be able to flex. And protocol amendments can be just simply because recruitment is not working well. You're changing um, eligibility criteria. You're changing randomization methodologies. You're changing how the drug supply is being managed by challenges different kit types, different dosing regimens. So um, they can really impact the core and the crux of the highest risk areas of the system. Um, and you know you need to make sure that there's an excellent validation process and know-how to, to, make, to ensure uh, quality um, of those studies. And clinical trials are very, very, very expensive. And companies are now asking for more out of the studies they do. Um, and if you can't make those kinds of adjustments, it costs more and more money in the long run. So that kind of flexibility and the mid-course adjustments is becoming more and more commonplace. And if you don't have the ability to turn on a dime or make these adjustments, it's going to cost more money in the long run. It's very true. Seven, ten years ago, it was, here's the IVR. You randomize, you screen a patient, maybe you do a subsequent assignment, and mm -hmm. away we go. Trials have become more complex. Are you seeing more regulatory scrutiny around that? Oh, absolutely. From a regulatory standpoint, the, the big hot item now is vendor oversight. And if clients can't 
demonstrate their accountability, their visibility to what's going on, they're going to be in some deep trouble with regulatory agencies. The ability to, to track changes, to monitor all the activities, edits, software changes, all these things that in the past may have been in the background have now risen to the point where the vendors are now responsible. So if you can't provide that information, you can't provide that kind of support or documentation to support their trials, it's not going to go well. Yeah, and I think, Bill, to your point, too, it's even outside of regulatory getting more and more involved in the areas of clinical trials than they haven't. So, for example, drug accountability and reconciliation. Over the last year, two years, there's been more and more findings of inadequate control at the sites of the drug or documentation of that control. So, you know, there's solutions that other vendors have put out there that will help, piece of technology that will help the sites control, document control, and help the sponsors document control in a more real-time wet manner, identify where there's some compliance challenges and help that site be successful. That in our experience, and Bill, I know that you've been in MHRA audits and FDA audits that you've supported on behalf of our customers and audits of ourselves, where documenting training of the sites, the FDA and the MHRA are very, very well aware and they're very concerned with the number of amendments to protocols and the impact on potential patient safety and quality of the protocols and how they're being run, the data integrity. So they're really looking at the e-clinical providers. That's not only just IRT, it's EDC, it's, it's any e-clinical provider, and making sure that the sites with all this change, are they being adequately trained? Do they really understand how their role changes? Are there controls built in to those technologies to make sure that sites don't get access to the protocol changes or the amendments until those amendments have been officially approved and released and you have IRB approval and all of those things. Bill, I don't know if you want to add anything there. I know you got a tremendous amount of experience with that. Yeah, the the security is is going to a level, and I don't just mean access, but visibility, changes, controls, documentation, evidence of things happening. All of those things are now becoming more and more important. And and I would add not just the things that have happened in the past that we can now track. But I think what their clients are really asking for is maybe a forewarning. What's a leading indicator of something happening? If we don't have the training, then we're going to have lack of compliance because people don't know what they're expected. If we don't know we're going to run out of shipments, then we don't know to send it there. So the preemptive components of a a top-notch IVR and the supporting systems are very, very important, more important than they ever used to be. Yeah. I think the part of actually building a system to randomize the patient building system to actually provide or assign the right kit type, that's the easy stuff. That's used to be what IRT, as you said, Matt, that's what IRT was really all about. That is easy, 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 easy stuff. It's all these other things we're talking about that add the complexities. And when sponsors are looking for a vendor or when they're working with their vendor, they need to be asking these questions or how do you handle this? Or what do you have for me? What do you have to offer me? Do you have an audit trial report? that you can offer me because I know that when my sites get audited by agencies or I get audited, the first thing they're going to ask me for is, well, what's the audit trail? How, who made those changes in that system? When and why? Can you provide that out of your system for me? So I have that. Things like that. So that's, again, going back to your original uh, question, Matt, those are the types of things, uh, a more premium or experience. I don't want to use the word premium. Um, I think all providers are premium in their own way. But a more experienced provider can offer you and save an awful lot of challenge and headaches. Yeah. They should know what kind of questions you should be asking. 
They should have the experience from working with other clients to understand what the industry standards are and, and let them know, you ought to be thinking about this. I know it's around the corner and you probably can't see that far, but in our experience with other clients, this is where we find is the next step in this yeah. genealogy in a sense. That's true. And you mentioned about the other clients too. I know that um, at LMAC we have a very, very broad and diverse client base. So we work with most of the top pharma, top 10 pharma, top 20 pharma. And we work with a lot of mid-sized pharma and we work with many virtual companies, startups and biotech, small biotechs. And the larger pharma um, companies, several of them, they've grown in their knowledge and their experience. And they have staff internally that can help uh, guide their clinical teams and their supply management teams on making the right decisions. They have standards. I think the going with an experienced provider is absolutely essential for the mid-size, the virtuals, and the and, you know the smaller guys because they don't have that that internal uh, experience built up in standards. So you really need to go with somebody who's got your back and who's not just looking at this as a transaction, but looking at this as we are just as invested in the success of this trial as you are. And we're going to help make sure that you, you win here, that you're successful. Yeah, there's, I think there's many good examples of that that LMAC provides. But I think one that comes to mind first is biostatistics. If you've got a very strong biostatistical group and they know what they're doing and they've got a lot of experience in clinical trials, et cetera, et cetera, then they probably won't need a lot of assistance. Maybe they need a little consultation or kind of a third-party check on what they think and how they're doing. And, and we have a top-tier biostat group and they can provide assistance to those larger companies that may not need quite as much help, yet the smaller companies that maybe don't have that, we can provide those kinds of services yeah. without question. Not to get into regulations and start quoting, but the ICHE 6, the new revision says sponsor oversight. Would you be in agreement then that it's not just about the sponsor overseeing an IRT vendor, but also the IRT vendor really working with the sponsor to help provide them that oversight and putting a check and a balance in place? Personally, I believe that we are here to help that customer be successful. We are, IRT is a very niche service offering. And it might seem simple to people who don't understand it, but there's, as we've been discussing, there's a lot of risk and there's a lot of complexity and there's a lot to consider. And so from, from my perspective and the way that we, we work and the leadership at ALMAC, drives into uh, our employees to help them understand, to train them, to set them up for success, they are empowered to make sure that they're providing that guidance and consultation. They're not just going to collect information from you and do what you say. Because no automatons. No, exactly, Matt, exactly. Because if you can do it yourself, you would do it yourself easily. But coming to us for that expertise I think that's really, really important. It's not expertise in how to build software. It's expertise in how to design a solution, both service and software, that's going to help set you set up for success and avoid the common risks and pitfalls that are out there. Yeah, and I think in, in terms of the regulations, each company will see and get their exposure to regulatory agencies that time to time are going to visit with them. With the vantage point that we have with you know hundreds of clients in a sense is anytime a client gets audited, basically we're there to see what goes on and help provide support for it. I know that this year alone we supported over 60 regulatory audits of our clients. That's beside the ones that regulatory agencies come and see us. 
we know what the questions are being asked, we know what answers are being provided, and we know what answers are being accepted by the agency. So we have a unique visibility and a very broad experience level with many, many dozens of, of audits on an, on an annual, regulatory audits on an annual basis. And I don't think that's even counting in the client audits that we have yeah. coming in here, 70 to 80 on an annual basis. Let's talk a little bit then, right? Why come and start listening to this? Why listen to what LMAC has to say? Well, here's a source of information that could save you time. And if it's going to save you time, it's going to save you money. It's going to help you identify where the problems are. We have an entire risk management program that helps us identify where we expect to see problems. So we become more proactive about identifying where problems can come rather than reactive and fixing problems that are out there. With a customer or the, with, a, with a company like Almac, we can provide that kind of expertise and share that experience and other companies can then benefit by that experience. I agree with Bill. I think the podcast that we're, we're doing, the intention is to try to elevate the discussion in the industry, to try to elevate some of the challenges that are out there that we see our customers experiencing just in general with clinical trials, some of the lessons learned, uh, what not to do, what to do, things to consider. Uh, we were just talking about questions you should ask your providers, make sure that you're getting answers to certain questions and you're addressing certain areas. This is, this is for us, this is more about helping to elevate the discussion, raise awareness, and we'll learn from this too as we get feedback from people on the podcasts uh, and, and as we bring in guests different customers and different different folks in the industry that have signed up and are excited on sharing their experiences and opinion, um, it gives us a chance to learn as well. Here at Almac, we study clinical trials. Okay, we don't just perform them. We just don't conduct them or support them. We, we study them. We look and see where their potential problems are, where there's weaknesses. We talk to other experts in the field, whether they be language vendors or other suppliers, and we identify where, where there's areas to improve. Experience like this, just going through podcasts and bringing in speakers. We partner with a lot of experts in the field and then incorporate those changes, those industry uh, excellence, points of excellence, and continue to, to build on the experience that we have and the services we provide. I think being a student of clinical trials really focuses us on making things better, making things more effective, and our clients can benefit by that. And I think that's a, a strong point for an experienced, well-versed, well-educated, well-trained, and experienced in sharing those experiences with our clients. Another point to raise around experience, uh, really being a student of clinical trials and looking a little bit outside of our own area, integration is such a big deal in the industry right now, and I know it's a big pain point for a lot of customers. There's so many different e-clinical solutions and passwords that sites have to remember and user IDs, and we went outside of our industry. We got involved with Exostar, a firm that's actually working on single password portal for all e-clinical trials and they're I know they're being sponsored by the pharma industry we already have that up and running we've done proof of concepts we're helping move that forward and so we're, we're trying to stay ahead and innovate and look at the challenges that may be kind of on the periphery that we can help solve as well so it's not just about compliance no. and getting a compliant trial it's about engineering that trial so it runs efficiently 
as they get more and more of a global reach and things change and they shift, complex protocols and yeah. more complicated studies. Yeah. See, when it comes to the patient and it comes to, you know, the clinical trial is all about the patient. You know, the compliance, the regulations are there to help protect the patients, to help protect the integrity of the data, to make sure that what's being collected is, is truthful, it's, it's accurate, and that something gets approved or not approved based on what's real. But it's really about that patient. And the site is the person, the site is, these are, these are the individuals working directly with the patient. And anything that we can do to help that patient's experience when they come into that office be an efficient, quick, enjoyable experience, they get their treatment they've been waiting for for years and years and years. Think about an oncology pa patient who is finally got a clinical trial that might help them with a rare cancer or any cancer that there's no other standard of care treatment out there or the standard of care isn't working for them. And they're waiting and waiting to get on this list when they come to the office if your IRT doesn't work and they can't get their assignment. Maybe they traveled states to get there. You're going to send them home. There's things that we do. We have to keep that patient in mind and in order to make the patient's experience better, we have to make the site's experience better. If we can improve the patient experience, if we can make it easier for them to partake and be part of a clinical trial. So obviously the, the patient is number one. The patient we really want to take care of. We want to make sure that the positive experience for that individual. If we're able to do that, we can help protect our clients also. We can, we can retain patients in, in clinical trials and make it easier for them. Then it reduces the costs, increases the, the numbers that are coming in and improves the, the accuracy of all the clinical trials. By making it better for patients, it makes it better for the customer, it makes it better for the trial, it makes it better for everything all the way around, patient first. What are your suggestions and where do you see these type of pitfalls or these type of efficiencies that people can get in best practices? Well, some of the things that we're, we've been working on and we have, we've put out there more recently is, I mentioned earlier, the ART campaign. So ART is an accountability returns technology that helps ensure compliance while at the same time compliance, sharing compliance can be very inefficient. It can be a burden to users or sites. This particular product makes it easier to enable compliance. So efficiency while making sure you're meeting those regulations and you're, you're safe, you're in, you're in good standing there. And not, you know, why are the regulations there? You can identify risk issues. And so it allows you to do those three things. The other area that we're working on is the site knowledge of the system. And training historically has either been ignored for IRT certainly was not a lot of effort put into and a lot of, we'll say, seriousness uh, or, or respect of that training across the board, uh, whether it had been the slides at an investigator meeting when, you know, you've got half your sites aren't started yet or new sites coming in or little quick reference cards that were sent out where a lot of people don't really learn effectively from just reading a quick reference card and they end up calling tech support and a patient gets delayed and goes into all of those things that we're trying to avoid. Almac Clinical University is a solution that we offer that is actual video training and, and it's, a, it's an online electronic training for the sites and you can link that directly to their access to the system to ensure compliance that they've been trained. You can even link that to when there's a big major amendment where the site needs to understand that there's something they need to do differently in the system or for eligibility or something else for dosing. You can ensure you can push this out in one central location and ensure that all your users 
receive that information and that training, a certified signed off electronic signature, it's filed one central repository for you before they go in and actually perform that transaction, which there have been many studies in my history. I've been in this company for 20 years in the industry for, for about 26 years now dating myself, didn't mean to do that, um, but there have been a number of issues of patient safety, patients lost a trial because of bad data or they protocol deviations or violations, where it's because the site didn't understand what to do. And so we're, this is another offering that I think people uh, will find high value in. So, so Val mentions the ACU, the MI Clinical University. Let me give you a specific example of that in a recent regulatory audit that we had this summer. The agency asked us how the sites can demonstrate that they were using our systems effectively and as they were designed. Yes, we, we send them information. They may sit through some user acceptance testing, but how did we, how were we able to demonstrate that they were actually trained on stuff? The ACU gives us that ability. We can provide customized training on functionality, on systems, on transactions, on the use of the system, and any number of things, and be able to support our partners in these clinical trials by providing documentation, providing the, um, the actual training content, modify, adjust those contents depending upon regulatory changes or situational timely changes. We can make all those adjustments and provide that service. Again, something that hardly any other company or no other company does. How do we then recommend going about executing this? We talked about a lot of great ideas. It's about implementation now. It, it certainly is, and I think that the great thing is is that these are things that we've, and I know that there are other providers out there. I don't want to make this a sales pitch. This is about things to consider and things to ask providers when you're when you're interviewing or trying to search for one. But we here at Almac and I'm sure many other providers have been implementing and executing this. This is not new stuff. Um, I'm not talking to you about pipe dreams and things we wish to do. These are things that we've invested in that we've learned and that we've already put out there. Don't think I think there I know for a fact actually there is no other training system like this out there yet, but I'm sure there are other from an IRT perspective, but there will be more, I'm sure. There are other products out there, and people focus on patient centricity. Patient centricity is really important to our customer base. It's important to us, and that's uh, one of the big buzzwords out there, but I think it's not even a buzzword anymore. People are thinking about their roadmaps for for innovation and, and how they can make, again, as we discussed earlier, the patient's life easier, the patient more engaged, get that drug to the patients faster. So how do we execute this? I think we just need to continue to ask questions, educate the market. This podcast will go a long way, Matt. Market education of what, what to consider, what questions to ask. We hope, I hope personally, that this can help a lot of uh, individuals that are working in clinical trials uh, that, that we don't get the opportunity to work with directly, but at least we know that you know, you're getting a little bit of free consulting here, and I'm very happy to do that. I know that Bill is happy to do that, and I hope, I hope we can help just make things better as a whole for the industry. Saying that if all you have is a hammer, everything tends to look like a nail. If, if you only have a single service, then you try and force fit everything into that mold that you understand. I think the key of a good provider, a good partner, is one that not just fires back answers to every question he has, but tries to understand what the question really is. 
there may be a new, there may be a different, there may be a, a, a better way to ask that question and get a more appropriate answer. I think that's the value of an experienced IVR company is to basically know and understand what the intentions are, know and understand what the regulations mean, know and understand what other um, companies are doing and how they're answering the questions, and coach, counsel, consult, and, and bring our partners along with, with the knowledge that we have making their systems better. Bill, it's, it's so, so true. You said something in that statement that just made me reflect on the fact that I can't tell you how many times we get a customer coming to us really desperate saying, we have this problem. It's a problem like any other problem. It's unique. And I'm sure you've never experienced this before. And they, they tell us what the issue is. And I'm like, we've, we've experienced that about, I don't know, 24 or 50 times. This week. And here's how, how other customers have addressed that challenge. And here's what worked well about this scenario and what didn't work as well. And so what are, where are your priorities? And we can help steer we can give them options and help them uh, understand the benefits and, and pros and cons of each option. I still get goosebumps and love talking with customers about problem solving and being able to help solve those challenges. Well, thank you both very much for the time today. I really appreciate it. I want to point something out that I picked up on that Bill said. What is important isn't just getting a system up and running. It's the three C's, coaching, collaborating, and consulting. The IRT is asked to do more and more, and it puts it as a crucial system for the conduct of the trial. We are hoping this helps to raise some awareness, because at the end of the day, it isn't about the profits, it's about the patient's journey. It's about someone's parent, spouse, child, sibling, traveling to find a medicine that might help them, and it's ensuring that they receive the best possible care. If the tool that is designed to facilitate that journey isn't working correctly, if the support isn't there to ensure when the regulators are reviewing, if the ability to work through supply shortages or mid-study protocol changes isn't present, then we've failed as an industry because we wanted to save a few pennies on the dollar. Until next time, thanks for listening. I'm Matt Lowry, and this is The Spotlight on IRT Podcast. You've been listening to The Spotlight on IRT Podcast. Brought to you by Almac Clinical Technologies. If you have a question for our host or would like to suggest a topic for our next podcast, please visit our podcast page on Almac Clinical University at university.almacgroup.com.